0: Today And for the next three weeks, I'm taking a departure from my usual uh, sermon practices and style. My usual sermon discipline always starts with the text. I, I read our scripture for the day, pray on it, study on it, ask questions of it. Sometimes that results in me being wrapped in comfort and hope. Sometimes it makes me fighting mad. Sometimes I'm more confused than when I started, but I keep digging. I do all of this reading and praying and howling at the moon while I'm thinking and visualizing you. Individual stories and struggles in this room Inform how I read the holy scriptures and it often informs how I shape the message for any given day But it's at its core I think of the preaching honor as an occasion to get the biblical text heard My hope as I said is that I start with the scripture baptize it through our experiences together And then try to get it heard new. I also don't try on any given Sunday to do all of it. Do that part of the text. Prepare that meal for the day. Let that be all. We'll come back next Sunday. We'll hear another part of the biblical witness. And my hope is that over the course of a year or several years together, we get the whole warp and woof. Of God's divine disclosure. That's it. That's my approach to preaching in two short paragraphs. But not today. Today and for the next three weeks. I'm inverting the process. I'm doing what is called topical preaching. Which starts with us. And then goes to the text. A lot of people do this all the time. If you hear preachers who preach a sermon series on parenting or salvation, they're starting with the topic, then going into the text. Well, I'm going to disrupt my usual to do just that. Because last October, you voted for us to adopt a new mission statement And four values that we agreed would be the stack pole for our life together. Our new mission statement. Growing in Christ and community. Sharing God's love in the world. The the four core values that we agreed would focus our life together are worship, community, discipleship, and mission. And we stated and voted that these values would be the bedrock, the identity, the checkpoint against all of our activities. Does it help us grow in worship, community, discipleship, or mission? Well, if not, let's don't do it. Let's just take it off the menu. Because we've got so many resources, so many people. What we do is going to focus on at least one of these four areas. So my departure from, to a series of topical sermons is so that we can drill down on those four core values. I'm going to invite us to give attention to why we have affirmed these values and what we mean when we say these are the four. And today, it starts where it must start. It starts with worship. The other four values I have uh, just randomly put in some order, but not the first one. It always starts with worship. Others of you are fans of Garrison Keeler, who does the Lake Wobegon stories, right? On the radio, wonderful storyteller. And, and he usually features his stoic, uh, unemotional Lutheran tradition and church in this fictional town of Wobegon. But in one scene in his book from late Wobegon days, the usual stoic worshippers had a little emotion sneak in. He writes, the lights went out and the children's choir began its slow march up the aisle, holding candles and singing to our home on the prairie. Sweet Jesus has come. Born in a stable, he blesses his own. Though humble our houses and fortunes may be, I love my dear Savior who smiles on me. And in the dark, the thin, sweet voices and illuminated faces passing by, people began to weep. The song, the smell of the boughs, the darkness released the tears they evidently had held back for a very long time. Her mother wept. Her father, who had given me stony looks for hours, bent down, and put his face in his hands. What Garrison Keeler has imagined is a scene where worship happens. In, in the dimness of the candle procession and the music of the children's choir and the smell of pine, the conditions were such that those people were able, able to open up their souls to the presence of God among them, and it ended in tears and a changed heart. By the way, I hope you've noticed, I I hope you've noticed the attention that Bill Gabbard and other worship leaders give to shaping a service that can do just that for us. Take a look at every hymn we've sung together today. And how it advances the theme of worship. And did you know that every Sunday morning your staff gathers in my office at 8.30. And we have prayer together for this worship service. And often that prayer will include the line, Oh God, may we be prepared enough and good enough at our job that we get out of the way unnoticed so that what you are trying to do in the lives of the people gathered has room to happen. The scene in Isaiah that we heard earlier, like the Garrison Keeler passage, is a scene where God has shown up in worship. On this occasion in the temple, Isaiah experiences the presence of God in shaking thresholds and visions of seraphs flying. And Isaiah says, Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah has encountered the holy. Worship happens in attention. Of what theologians call transcendence and eminence. We worship a transcendent God, not an equal, not a buddy. We worship our Creator, the infinite, the eternal mystery. This scene in Isaiah gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to bow before the boundless and ultimate God. And later in Isaiah, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. And our knees should shake every time we enter this room. To think that we invoke the presence of the one who designed the swan, who commands the thunder. And yet, and yet, that transcendent God is also immanent and personal. God is consistently present in our life, holding us, hearing us, showing glimpses of God's glory, peeking from behind the ordinary. The Apostle Paul says, He is not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being God shows up. God does not cross the line to show up every time we beckon. It's certainly, God doesn't show up nearly as many times as we plead for it to happen. But we all have some moment or moments in our own story, private, personal moments with dates and time stamps where God broke through and claimed us. When we removed from saying, there is a God, to saying, thou art my God. When we get to the place that God is experienced, not just logic or heritage, or something mama wanted for us. But an encounter. A, a personal presence that is reached through to hold us, sustain us, convict us, forgive us, claim us. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He knew what year it was. It was an occasion on the on the calendar. It was the year King Uzziah died. And when he remembers that, located in time and history, he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty. The hem of his robe filled the temple. The temple. Not just a time, but a place, a building. Winston Churchill once said, first we shape our buildings, then our buildings shape us. Our second Ponstelian ancestors built this space for us to worship. It's not that we can't worship in a in an empty old Kroger building or on a computer screen, but they built this worship space with majesty in mind, an organ that when Verlene plays, our seats shake a little bit. Piano and solo that rings pure and clear and true. And in this room, the notes have room to soar. A room grand enough to respect that we worship a God who is eternal and infinite. And if God shows up, we want a room where the hem of that garment, that robe, has a little room to sway and move. Maybe smack us upside the head. Our second pot's ancestors designed and built and paid for this room and left us an inheritance for our gathered worship together. And all the rest of our life together flows out of this encounter. It's the encounter with the risen Christ that binds us. By the gift of the Holy Spirit, in here we hear whispers of God's wisdom and direction and forgiveness and purpose. We are not a club that gets together to vote on good projects to do. We are first a community who has encountered God, encountered the holy and eternal. We are first bound together in our experience of the risen Christ and everything else we do flows out of that worship. The Colossians scripture that Josh read for us earlier Says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. (laughs) That is, we're told to worship together, to come together to hear the lessons and claims of God's wisdom, and then to sing. To sing. (laughs) our gratitude to a God who loves us this much. All of the other core values that we're going to be talking about across these four weeks together flow out of our worship. Community. We're motivated to live among others who have had a similar encounter with God's love our weekly worship of the transcendent god who is beyond us the imminent god who sometimes breaks through to grab us it knits us together in a community of people who have experienced god's love discipleship it flows out of worship once our lives have encountered the saving God, love of God in Christ, we, we just can't quench our thirst to know more about this God. How has this God interacted with God's people throughout history? How has, and once, now that we know that God has taken human form in Jesus, I've, I've got to know everything I can about this Jesus. What did Jesus value? How did Jesus spend his time? How did Jesus treat others? Our lifelong journey as a disciple, the journey Luke took today, begins with the encounter. Discipleship flows out of worship. And mission. Having experienced God's love and worship, I now must Be an agent of that love in the world. I want others to know about the transformation that happens with a Jesus encounter, and that's what motivates my evangelism. I want everybody to be treated as people of worth because they were designed and made in the very image of God. That motivates my efforts toward reconciliation, activism. I want everybody to have enough food to eat, clothes to wear, opportunities for education and health care, and shelter from the storm. And because I have worshipped, because I have experienced the love of Christ in my life, I can't sit on my hands while God's children wander about in need. It comes out of worship. I'm not going to make this claim for you, but for me. For me, I need to be in here. I need to see the faces of the people I love and who love me. I need to feel the organ tremble and hear the blast of the trumpet, the sound of the piano and flute. I need to hear the solos bouncing around in this room. I need to stand with you, open up a hymnal, and hear my voice join your voice as we stand and say together, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. I need to be in here to read the litanies of confession so that you hear and see me confessing my sins while I sit and listen to you do the same. I need to be in here to listen to Josh face the throne of grace and offer a pastoral prayer on our behalf. I need to be in this room to hear the waters splash behind me, watch Luke come up clean and new and cleaned. got to begin here with you. When we worship, when we join our prayers, our songs, when we adore the faithful God who holds us together, we get restored and motivated and centered and hopefully available available to be used of God for God's purposes, available to join God in any way we hear God call us to join in the project of reclaiming this world through love. When Isaiah encountered the living God in worship, After the threshold shook, and the seraphs departed, and the hem of God's robe had cleared, Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. When we have encountered the risen Christ, when we have experienced this love that engulfs us fully, we have to be ambassadors of that hope, partners with God, healing a hurting creation in the name of the risen Christ. Join me in that, please. Let's be the church